It is the 200 level. Mike Carpenter here for episode 275 on a Thursday night. And it is the first live pod that we've done since basketball season. So going all the way back to the Illinois-Chattanooga game, one of the most frustrating wins that I can remember. And I was, of course, going to do a live pod during the Houston game, but as that first half went on and you could kind of see where it was going, I was a little bit more emotional than I thought, and it would not have made for good podcasting. I think I kind of figured that the season was over at that point, and I wasn't so much angry, but just sort of resigned to the fate and not feeling the podcast or at least the live pod for that. So we're back, and we will do this, uh, I think, a live pod per week midweek, whether it be Wednesday or Thursday night, I'll try to get the information out there beforehand, and that way people can hop on if they want to. And with our new YouTube channel, I will get this video down from the Twitch website, upload it to YouTube, so the live feed will be here on twitch.tv forward slash the 200 level, and then after that, you can get it from YouTube. Now, as always, you can get the 200 level anywhere that audio podcasts are available. So that could be Apple, that could be Spotify, you name it. We are all over the place. And we had a great response for the first podcast back. And I appreciate all of you listeners and viewers for tuning in. We're gradually growing that YouTube channel. We've got 150 something subscribers on Twitch and many more on our Podbean and all those podcast feeds. So we appreciate it. And I think I think there's genuine excitement. I was listening to Jeremy Warner's podcast. He did a solo pod himself. I think it came out Tuesday about Illinois football and really kind of digging into what he viewed are sleepers on the roster, what he viewed as guys that get a breakout years. It was a great podcast as as all the ones that Jeremy puts out, especially the solo pods are great. The ones that he does with Joey Wagner and Derek Piper, super informative, and they have a bird's eye view that I simply don't. And I got to be honest, every time I'm listening to more of these pods that Jeremy puts out or I'm reading more of the reports that are coming out of camp that you, of course, can find on Alana Inquirer. And this is not a cheap plug because I'm actually going to read some stuff from Alana Inquirer later because it's just really good. Yeah, I'm I'm as excited as I was when I recorded the podcast last weekend and put it out Monday morning. I think that this team, given the schedule, has an opportunity for a successful year. And what I put out there on Twitter today was what in your mind would make it a successful season and what in your mind would make this season a failure? And I know both of those are big words, especially failure. Now, let's start real quick with what I don't think is a failure. I don't think five and seven is a failure. I know that might be viewed as some as treading water and that in and of itself, not very exciting. But five and seven, when you consider that there is still a lack of depth, there's some good talent, but a lack of depth. If there is some bad luck that this team faces, whether it be injuries or, hey, just the way college football or the game of football is, sometimes certain breaks don't go your way and a game that you could have won by a touchdown, you lose by a touchdown. So when you factor in the luck quotient, I think that five and seven is totally reasonable and actually in some ways, it might be the safest bet, five and seven. I think the over-under in Vegas is four and a half, though I'd have to check. And I do need to put some money in the betting account because, hey, football season, I actually am ready to lose money again on my gambling account. I said seven and five in the first podcast, and I'm thinking, okay, as the week goes on, is that ridiculous? Jeremy even called me out on his podcast and said, even fanboy carp who is not always optimistic about Illinois football, is feeling good. 
I think we all are, and that's the preseason trap that we often fall in. But I, I got to be honest, while I can fall into that trap, and I certainly am for Illinois basketball, thinking that they're going to be phenomenal this year, and, and that might not be a trap at all. I think they're going to be just really good. With Illinois football, I've become so immune and so numb in a lot of ways to all the disappointments we've seen that, I don't know, I'm not really, uh, I don't think that I'm making these predictions based on sort of fanboyish orange-colored glasses. I think that there are a lot of factors at play here that would suggest you can actually surprise people this year. Easier non-conference than we thought. Some scheduling breaks in the Big Ten. You factor that in with what you think will be an improved offense and enough returning veterans on both sides of the ball and a coaching staff that you like. Now, Brett Bielema, he's been making the media rounds, and I got to say, with each one that he does... I like him more and more. I was on the Bielema train when that name first surfaced back in December of 2020. And I had to do some digging myself. And honestly, what kind of swayed me on that towards pro Bielema, as opposed to what Lance Leipold, who is at Kansas now, is the charisma that he has that I didn't know he had. Because when he was at Wisconsin, I viewed him as this sort of buffoonish character. And I just hated Wisconsin football anyways. I'm sure Envy was a big part of that, just very jealous of what they had. At the end of the day, though, um, that plays here in Champaign. I, I think that his kind of personality is the sort of injection of adrenaline that a, this football program needed, not just after Lovey Smith. I mean, Lovey Smith was about as charismatic as a wet mop, and we kind of knew that going in. Bill Cubitt had the folksy charm, but none of us bought it when they started losing games that they shouldn't have lost that that team was better than five and seven and I don't think it was as good of a head coaching job as some others might Tim Beckman okay goes without saying yeah Tim Beckman's a guy you'd like to get a beer with once or twice Brett Bielema it'd be fun to be drinking buddies with him because I think he's actually a pretty smart guy and when he gives interviews I detect a level of authenticity he is what he is and that was something that kind of got him in hot water if you want to call it that, at Arkansas a little bit, and maybe at Wisconsin. There was some arrogance, I think more arrogance then than there is now. But whatever arrogance he had to turn people off then, I think is sort of molded into a slightly older, slightly wiser charisma. And I have enjoyed listening to these interviews and reading these snippets. And he seems to be optimistic about this team and optimistic about certain individuals. So after reflection this week, Am I still excited? Yes. I am still excited. I still think that this team will go to a bowl game, for one. And I think that if the cards fall in the right places, that 7-5 and five is totally doable. 8-4 and four is quite quite a lot. That might be a bridge too far. And Bobo, you, you have this here in the chat window, that over-under is 4.5 according to Vegas. That seems totally reasonable. I get why it's not 5.5 because everyone would be hitting the under based on based on history. But I am a convert to the Bielema era. I believe in Brett Bielema and the staff. And I think improvements were made that will get you from that 5-7 and seven record last year with a terrible offense to a 6-6 six and six and potentially 7-5 and five record that I think all of us would be ecstatic about. So here's what we're going to talk about today. We have the crazy new Big Ten media deal. We're going to touch on that, of course, maybe at the end of the podcast. We are going to touch on a too deep that Alana Inquirer published, if maybe even just today. And this is probably as accurate as you're going to get before the Wyoming game because 
I know the BLM is kind of playing things close to the vest, so we'll go through that real quick. And then we will also hit on a couple little nuggets, including why I think the four captains that were named for this team, why that bodes well for the chemistry part of it. Now, before I get into the sponsors, you're probably saying, God, Carp, why, why are you feeling so good? And I'm asking that myself. Why am I feeling so good outside of the things I talked about on Monday's podcast and returning talent, whatever it may be? I always want to believe that Illinois football could surprise me. And I think usually my go-to is set the expectations low enough that I won't be disappointed, right? But I do think that Illinois Revenue Sports are in a place now where I'm willing to put some faith and put some stock in the guys that are running it. And with that in mind, and knowing for years what I said on 93.5, what I've said here on this podcast, the Big Ten West is right there for you. I'm not talking about winning the Big Ten West. That's probably not going to happen for a while, and that's okay. But it is a division where you can sneak some wins out as long as you're the team that just makes fewer mistakes than the other guy. And when you consider the close games last year with the paltry offense, I'm thinking that just a decent offense, as simple as that sounds, is enough to turn this into something good. That's not to say there won't be bumps along the way. Next year, you're losing a lot of guys. And it's not like they're blazing the trail on the recruiting front. But I do think the long-term play here is looking good for Illinois football. And the short term as far as the 2022 season. Before I get too far ahead of myself, I want to remind you that the 200 level is brought to you by our fine sponsors. We have DP Doe. Campus is nuts right now, but here's the great thing about campus. What's <laughs> the great thing about DP Doe? You don't need to go to campus. They will bring it to you. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. That could be business lunches. That could be you're at home and you're watching college football in week zero and you want to celebrate an Illini victory over Wyoming with the Calzone. Steve Fiala, uh, I've known him for a long time. He runs the DP Doe and these guys... The customer service is great. This is why they've been around for coming up on 16 years. So check them out today at dpdo.com for all the best deals and prices, dpdo.com. Our newest sponsor, Dogtown Heating and Air, out of Paxton, my dad's hometown. These guys are excellent. I was able to meet with some of them personally, including Cody. And Cody, I'm going to go, not off script, but I think I got the basic points here. Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. So there you go. Three things that they can do for you. And even though they're based in Paxton, they can serve anywhere in Champaign-Urbana, St. Joe, Muhammad, you you name it. They will come to your house and check these things out, including a furnace check. You might have noticed it's not as oppressively hot as it used to be. It's been a gorgeous week. And before you know it, mid-September, you get that first chilly morning or that first chilly night, and you want to get that furnace checked before we get into October, and you really, really need your furnace working in tip-top shape. If you contact D, uh, not DPDO, Dogtown Heating and Air, and mention the 200 level, 6% off. Why 6% off? Because they believe Illinois is going to win six games and make a bowl this year. I am in agreement with Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. Check them out. Our rector construction online at rectorconstruction.com for all your home exterior projects. These guys have been with us for coming up on two, two and a half years. And don't let the upcoming fall and winter months fool you into thinking you can't do that home exterior project that you've been thinking about. Go online to rectorconstruction.com. Get a free estimate today. That's R-E-C-T-O-R-Construction.com for a free estimate today. Finally, State Farm Agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com for life, auto, home, business, renters. You name it, Brian is my guy, and he can be your guy. We just got our new policy. The rates are still fantastic. 
Brian has been so easy to work with through all this, and it's good to trust your insurance guy. And you can with Brian. I can vouch for him as an insurance agent and a person. That is brianismyguy.com. Alana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network appreciate their partnership. You can, of course, find us on YouTube, new YouTube channel. Subscribe to that. I think we got about 21 subscribers now, so we're gradually building that. Twitch, as some of you are doing right now, twitch.tv forward slash the 200 level, and anywhere podcasts are available. I think those are all the particulars. Oh, and rate and review us if you can too, if that's an option. All right, so we got the chat window going a little bit here. Um, <laughs> now, I got Bobo and Billy are active in the chat window, and this is from Bobo. Let's talk real quick, and I'm going to hit up some of the tweets that I got. I posed the question, what would make this a successful season? What would make this a failure? Now, Bobo says, I think realistically anywhere from five to eight wins can happen this season. Realistically, I agree with the five to six and even the seven. The eight is where I, I think it gets interesting, Bobo. And some listening to this podcast would say, why, what are you smoking even thinking that eight is a possibility? I'll tell you why I think eight is a possibility. There are three games on the schedule, which I would say, uh-uh, not going to happen. And we talked, we kind of broke it down last pod. Wisconsin, not feeling it. Michigan State. Eh, let's be let's be honest. And Michigan, though I do think that Michigan State gives you a chance because I don't really buy I don't buy Mel Tucker as a fantastic coach. Good enough to win eight games a year up there, but I don't buy the ten million dollar man. I just I don't. What really gets interesting to me is the Iowas of the world, the Purdue's of the world, the Minnesotas of the world, where you competed certainly against all three last year and you got the win against Minnesota. You should have beat Purdue if your offense would have done anything Iowa you had him but Brandon Peters kind of Brandon Petered at the end of it and we're, we're used to that and maybe Tommy DeVito at home can be the sort of spark you need to get enough points to finally slay that dragon an Iowa program that you haven't beaten since 2008 silly as it sounds we're due I'm not predicting Illinois to beat Iowa this year but good god it's got to happen sometime I know it's a good program up there but they are not Ohio State so you got to get a win sometime. Those are kind of in the middle of the pack, right? Uh, you got the Northwesterns of the world. You got the Indianas, Virginia with an absolutely terrible defense. And I know you're thinking, well, they put up like 60 points on you last year and 600 plus yards. Yeah, I know that it seems that would be a silly game to predict as a win. But the wheels came off for them at the end of last year, and Illinois started to rise. I do think that if that game would have been played in late October or early November, it would have been much more competitive. That was a different Illinois defense, and Ryan Walters was still figuring out what he had. I like that home game in week three. I really do, with the extra day of preparation because you play Indiana on a Friday. I like the Indiana game because you got a game under your belt when they don't. I like the Wyoming game. I like the Chattanooga game. It is not crazy to say this team could start 4-0. I think they're still in great shape if they start 3-1. and 2-2 two and two is where it gets a little, eh, where are we going? 1-3, and three, disaster. 0-4, oh we won't even broach that because that would include losses to Wyoming and Chattanooga. All that to say, a long-winded way of saying, 8 is not nuts. I wouldn't put 20 bucks on it. I wouldn't put a lot of money on it. That's why I went 7-5, and five, which I think is on the upper end of optimism, but doable. Bobo says 95% or greater to win Wyoming, Indiana, Chattanooga, and Northwestern. The one out of that, Bobo, as much as I like playing Indiana before they get a game under their belt, their belt I don't know if they were as bad as 2-10 and 10 last year. 
maybe more of like a four-win team that had some bad breaks. So suffice it to say, they took a big drop, no matter what. I think Tom Allen's still probably a solid coach, and it's very difficult to win there. But the other thing, Bobo, could be that Indiana's a lot like what the Ron Turner Illini program was. They had that fantastic year, and you think, oh, wow, they might have something here. But at the end of the day, they're still Indiana football. Just like back then, well, we're still Illinois football. And they fell back to the pack very quickly, and you wonder how they respond this year. They'll be chomping at the bit for week one on a Friday night. I, I still think you got to go in there and just win it. You know, like, just, just win the darn game. If you are where you hope you are, which is at a more stable level than before, you go in and you sneak out a win, and I don't care how much they, they can win by one point. It doesn't matter. Style points do not matter in any of these games um, as long as you get the win, right? Um, then, yeah, get it. Get it done. Uh, we got some tweets here that I wanted to hit up real quick. So let's see here. The question, again, that I posed was, what would make a successful season? What would make a failure? This one is from Sidelines, Illinois, at SSN underscore Illini. I'd love to have a season with no blowouts. Just compete every week. Offense must be improved. Agreed. Be watchable and entertaining. Like every other team, a bowl game should be a goal every year. This goes lost on Illini fans sometimes, I think. There are plenty of mediocre teams that get to six wins. Plenty. So I don't even need this Illinois team to be good per se. I think they can get to six wins being completely mediocre. That's where the seven win thing, ludicrous as it sounds, because we haven't gotten seven wins since the Craft Fight Hunger Bowl was our seventh win. Is that right? Yes, because Lovey went six and seven. Yeah, okay. So seven wins is just saying you're above average with four winnable non-conference games and some breaks in the schedule. So yeah, I, I would agree sidelines that like every other team, a bowl game should be a goal every year. I mean, there are there are bad teams that win six, right? All right, from Brian K, five plus wins for a successful season. It should be enough to prevent the same old Illinois perception and recruiting, especially in state. We need to avoid the disastrous second season in order to have a chance to get this thing off the ground. Brian, I mentioned on Monday's podcast, the disastrous Lovey Smith second season, which really stalled momentum. The first season, the Lovey Smith excitement, even though he went three and nine, led ultimately a pretty good recruiting class. Now, I know like the Bennett Williams of the world, there, there were plenty of issues later on with those guys, but the early returns were suggesting that maybe Lovey wasn't going to recruit like Ron Zook, but he could get it done. Second season really hamstrung that coaching staff. Firing Garrick McGee because that was a failure. Rod Smith, fine, whatever. But there wasn't a lot of confidence after that second season, and they never quite recovered. So what, three wins, two wins, four wins, six wins, two wins. God dang, the Lovey Smith era was terrible. I mean, we don't need to rehash that. Brian, I agree with you on that, though. From C. Vance, 1988, same. Five-plus wins. Good games against Michigan State, Wisconsin, and Michigan. So those are the three I mentioned. Good games against them. I, I would love that. An offense that can actually move the ball and stretch the defense would be fun. Honestly, some bigger recruiting wins to create some outside buzz. Uh, A.K.A. Hill from Kankakee would be huge. So just a few of the responses there. Bobo uh, added some percentages in his mind to the games. Um you know, as far as like winning, he has 80% chance to win versus Virginia and Purdue. I'd put Virginia probably more at 
65, given it's a home game. The Purdue game, I'm going to call a toss-up. Purdue is like an enigma. It's difficult to know if Brahm has truly stabilized things or if he's just going to kind of popcorn back and forth between a sneaky good year and a not-so-good year. I don't think the talent discrepancy is great at all between Illinois and Purdue. Probably fairly even. And last game, last year's game with a David Bell-list Purdue would tell you that this defense can keep Purdue in check. So I, I'm still calling that a toss-up because Purdue just weirds me out. Bobo says 60%, oh yeah, 60% chance against Purdue, 55% chance against Nebraska. I agree. I'm not feeling great about that game. That is a toss-up where I just feel like Nebraska, law of averages says that they get a win. They're at home. A desperate team that is going to try, I think, to keep Scott Frost employed. And that might be at a point in the season midway through where they really need a win. So that desperation freaks me out a little bit. Less than 50% Iowa and MSU. I'm going to put the Iowa game at 40, maybe 35%. MSU, I'm going to put at 25. Though, again, I still think that's an upset potential. 5% or 0% Wisconsin and Michigan. I actually like that you're playing Wisconsin and Michigan on the road. I don't think you'd beat them at home either. So why not use two of your road games in the Big Ten against the upper echelon so you can get more of the winnable games at home? I think it actually works out pretty well with the schedule. All right, um, let's see here. I think that's all the responses, at least that I'm loading up right now. Okay, let's talk about the two deep. I went over some of the position groups in a very kind of macro way, and I want to thank Alana Inquirer for their fantastic reporting as always. And this is these are guys that actually know what they're talking about when it comes to the micro stuff. And I'm just guessing, especially early on, I'm just kind of guessing and making assumptions based on some of the key guys returning. So projected Illinois football too deep. And this is by Jeremy Warner, and this was published just this afternoon. Now, the quarterback position, not surprising. Tommy DeVito listed as number one. I don't think any of us figured that it would be anyone else. And they are keeping this very quiet, though it's kind of the world's worst-kept secret. No offense to Art Sitkowski. You could do worse when it comes to um, when it comes to a backup quarterback. I, I think that he's shown he can win you games, but the Art Sitkowski, part of the reason we were calling for him is because Brandon Peters just drove you nuts last year. And it's not like Art Sitkowski lit the world on fire when he came back in. So you could do worse as far as backup quarterbacks go. But yes, Tommy DeVito gives you something. I know Jeremy's high on him. And I will say, this is going to sound silly. Wow, Carp watched a YouTube with Tommy DeVito. He does have swagger, and I do think it matters. I think the intangible stuff that Brandon Peters lacked, Tommy DeVito hopefully has. And even if he has just a little bit more intangible qualities, I do think that goes a long way. It's the most important position, not on the field, but in the locker room as well. If the guys believe that Tommy DeVito is a winner, even a bit of a goofball, because that's the kind of personality he gives off, then that goes a long way. Brandon Peters was not the kind of guy that would rally guys around him. It's not in his nature. It's not his fault. Wes Lunt, same thing. These are talented guys that for whatever reason did not have the it factor. So quarterback position, you feel like you upgraded. Kind of by default because Brandon Peters struggled, and I know Tony Peterson had a lot to do with that as well, but that should be an upgrade, and that alone is huge. Now running back is your best position group, Chase Brown, Josh McCray, but even the depth here, this is one position where if you lose a guy, you feel like you can still have a fairly decent 
stable of running backs. So Reggie Love, if he's healthy, Aiden Laurie, um, Chase Hayden, you kind of go down the list. Jordan Anderson as a freshman, you don't feel will be a huge contributor, but that name does intrigue me as we go forward. And who knows? I mean, were we looking at Josh McCray last year as someone that was even going to play that much? All right, wide receiver. This is one that is interesting because other than Isaiah Williams and I guess Casey Washington, there's not a lot of knowns. You're kind of banking on breakout performances from a Pat Bryant whose name keeps getting bandied about and a Brian Hightower who has played before but not so much last year. I do like the eligibility of these guys, meaning Isaiah Williams is a redshirt sophomore, but because of COVID, he is a senior in school and only a sophomore in the field. The fact that you could have two more years of Isaiah Williams is huge. Maybe he sticks around and gets his master's, or maybe he's as good as some of us think he could be, and he's off to the pros after next season. The fact he's returning punts and kicks, supposedly, that's exciting too. Casey Washington, uh, there was some high praise coming out about him today. I think he's probably the most sure-handed of the bunch. And if he's the guy that can go up and get it for you on a, you know, as we saw the Minnesota game, right? He had that incredible catch that helped you move the chains. It was like a 25-yard gainer. To me, he is the sort of like third and short guy that runs the slant, gets you the first down. It's still a position that leaves a lot of questions I don't think the ceiling is particularly high. I just need serviceable. That's about it. So uh, according to this 2D peer, Isaiah Williams, Pat Bryant, Casey Washington, it says, or Brian Hightower, who's the other name that gets bandied about quite a bit. All right, now tight end, I know is something that Jeremy's super high on. Luke Ford, a senior. Tip Ryman. Tip is from South Dakota. My dad has some family in South Dakota, so we got some Carpenter lineage up there, and we have an affinity for that whole region. And this is a corn-fed South Dakotan that the coaching staff apparently loves. A lot of run blocking last year, not a lot of pass catching. I guess the same could be said for Luke Ford. You know, Brett Bielema has a history of tight ends. That goes back to Wisconsin. That is a school that basically churns them out and seems like they have an endless supply of six foot five, 260 behemoths that can catch and can run block and pass block. You feel pretty good about that position. Uh, Daniel Barker was a difference maker offensively. If the wide receivers, I feel like there's kind of a a parallel relationship here. I should say not parallel, but complementary thing going on where if the wide receivers can be a little bit better, you are not asking the tight ends to be great receivers themselves. You're really asking them to be uh, kind of jack of all trades. And I think Luke Ford and Tip Ryman, according to all the crazy reports about him, and maybe the guy's huge he's a freak, then you're probably okay at that position. Offensive line, a lack of depth is the concern. Now, Julian Pearl and Palchewski, you got those guys on the tackles. You feel good about that. Philstrom at center uh, got a lot of experience last year. The guards are the guys that you went out and got in Isaiah Adams and Zy Chrysler. So then you get into the the rotation behind that with Jordan Slaughter, who got some uh, playtime last year. Zachary Barlev got a little bit as well. Josh Krutz. Is that Olin Krutz's son? I think it is. Chat window, if you guys can help me out on that. A bunch of freshmen. And I would love to think that all the freshmen, they just redshirt. That is what a Brett Bielema Big Ten program, I think, would do. Just redshirt all those guys. So offensive line, that to me is one of the bigger question marks. Even maybe more so than wide receiver because I feel like with a good game plan and a good coordinator, you just get guys into space and 
and you can work with decent wide receivers. I don't think you can necessarily work with just a decent offensive line. I don't think Illinois as a program is at a level where they can afford to have just an okay offensive line. You feel good about the ends, and that to me is the most important part, protecting Tommy DeVito because you don't want Art Sipkowski doing more than uh, a few snaps here and there. If you keep DeVito upright, I think you have a 6-1 season, if not 7. That's why the offensive line, just protect him. And maybe, unlike Tony Peterson, Barry Lunny Jr. will figure, let's just get rid of the ball quick. We don't need to do 7-step drops, as we did way too much last year. All right, defensive line here, you got Keith Randolph, Calvin Avery, Johnny Newton. You got Calvin Avery in the middle, right? Big guy, apparently looking good at camp. Keith Randolph and Johnny Newton were the guys that really came on last year. Now, Randolph is only a redshirt sophomore, and Newton is a senior. You feel pretty good about that. You know, good depth pieces, and Jamal Woods, he's a senior this year. Uh, Tara Edwards, I know, has been getting some pub as well. With a three-man front, you feel really good about the first three, especially the ends, and you hope that you can kind of piece it together. There's Virtus Brown as a nose tackle, and... We'll see. We're still waiting, right? And I don't know if we're going to keep waiting for him to emerge, but maybe as a rotational piece, not bad. I like the I like the defensive line. I like three-man fronts. I think it just gives you a lot of versatility. Randolph, Avery, and Newton, that's not bad. I mean, that's a Big Ten defensive line and a 3-4 defense. Bobo confirmed, yes. Josh Krutz's dad is Olin Krutz. All right. That's pretty good lineage right there. We had good luck with another center back in the day, um, Luke Buckus. I like the whole Bears center connection there. All right, outside linebacker. This is a name that uh, Jeremy Warner has pubbed. I remember towards the end of last season thinking this guy was starting to kind of emerge. Seth Coleman, outside linebacker. Ezekiel Holmes is listed as a starter as well. You got Alec Bryant and Gabe Yakis. Is that correct? Gabe Yakis? And I think you feel okay about that. Shimon Cooper. More of a depth piece. Another one of those Lovey Smith guys like Avertis Brown that you're you're waiting on. I don't again, I don't know if you're gonna get anything uh, major out of him, but you hope that I think you do need one more breakout guy in the front seven. The secondary, which we'll talk about in a bit, you feel really good about. But the front seven, you need one more piece, especially when you lose a guy. Um, well, I was about to say Kalen Tolson, which was a, a surprising departure for sure. But an Owen Carney, some guy that has the versatility to both stop the run, but also get to the quarterback. I mean, that's something that Seth Coleman, you hope, can get you from the outside position. I really like your middle linebackers. Calvin Hart Jr., Tariq Barnes. I really like that. Um, Calvin Hart Jr., for the playmaking ability we saw in the three quarters against Nebraska. Tariq Barnes, for sort of the playmaking ability for sure, but I think he sort of takes the uh, Tolson role of the sure-handed tackler. I like those two linebackers a lot. I know Isaac Darkangelo was a name that's been surfacing, former walk-on. He's a senior now, one of those guys that's been in the system for a long time. You feel pretty good about that. There's a James Crutes as well. Is that another one of Olin's sons? Two Crutzes on the team. How about that? All right, cornerback. Devin Witherspoon, arguably the best defender on the team, right? I don't think that's outlandish to say. Uh, Tavion Nicholson on the other side of it. You hope Devin Witherspoon just shuts down his side. I think the the depth you have at safety gives you a bit of a blanket here where even if Nicholson isn't great, you feel okay. And that leads me to safety. Sidney Brown, Kendall Smith, Quan Martin. Now, Quan Martin, more of a nickel, right? So in passing situations, 
it's going to be Quan Martin, Nicholson, and Devin Witherspoon out there on the corners and the nickel. And then Sidney Brown and Kendall Smith. Two seniors. I, I think you feel pretty good about that. I love Kirby Joseph. If he were to come back, I'd feel even better. But this is one position of strength where you can withstand that. And yes, Bobo, James is also Olin's son. We have two of Olin Cruz's sons in the program. All right, specialist Caleb Griffin, a kicker, of course. You got punter Hugh Robertson, a 29-year-old redshirt freshman. How about that? Aiden Hall, your long snapper. And Isaiah Williams, your returners. Thank you to Jeremy Warner and the Illini Inquirer staff for always providing the best coverage. Not a cheap plug, but truly they are the source. All right. After the kind of macro discussion that we had on Monday and looking through this too deep, if you stay healthy, if, and that's every team saying that right now, you feel okay. I think you feel okay. I think you feel like six wins. That That is right there for you. And seven if everything goes right. My seven is based on a much improved offense. When I say much improved, that doesn't mean great. Keep in mind how bad they were last year. They can be much improved and still finish somewhere around like 70 in the nation. But think about that. I think we trust Ryan Walters to have a serviceable defense, if not pretty good. There's enough returning talent there. It's a good system. I bet you average on defense giving up 21 points a game just like last year. I I think that's about right. So can your offense get you 24 as opposed to the 19.8 or the 20 points per game, which is pathetic for a Big Ten offense? Can they do that for you? I think so. Good Lord, it's not that hard in this college football environment. And I think Barry Lunny Jr., his reputation precedes him. And we aren't asking the world. I think these factors tend to make me optimistic um, based on a variety of variables and circumstances that make me think, yeah, I'm, we don't need to exponentially improve to get another win or two. And yeah, Bobo, offense can't be any worse than last year. I mean, think of all the games. Let's go to the Minnesota game. I thought the first quarter into the second quarter, when you took the 14-0, the 17-0 lead, whatever it was, great play calling and imagination from Tony Peterson. But then he started playing conservative, and you're just hoping after each successive three and out, that your defense holds them. It worked, thankfully, and you got another win. Think about the nine overtimes against Penn State. And yes, they had just as many opportunities as you did, but it shouldn't be that damn hard to get the ball two yards. And Tony Peterson and that offense couldn't do it. Two yards. So I'm picking these anecdotal things that tell you, yes, last year's offense was terrible. You already know the the stats. Or at least if you do, you wouldn't want to revisit them. So, yes, it seems reasonable enough that just a slightly improved offense means another win or two. Is it ever that simple? No, no. And, you know, when I break down the schedule and say, well, here are the wins, here are the losses, here are the toss-ups, there's going to be one game that you don't expect to lose that you lose. And I don't know what you guys think that game would be. I... Maybe the Indiana game, you know, being early like that. I, I think you beat Northwestern. But again, it's Pat Fitzgerald. I just think that Brett Bielema actually is a smart enough coach to know how to beat a Pat Fitzgerald. Um, there's going to be a game you don't expect to lose that you lose and a game you don't expect to win that you win. That's where you are still at as a program where there's going to be that slip up where you're thinking, uh-oh, you just hope that they can recover and get a big win. And they did it twice last year. They did it with Penn State and they did it with Minnesota. Unfortunately, sandwiched in between that was the Rutgers game at home. 
and Rutgers is off your schedule now. Which may not be a terrible thing because you'd have to go to Rutgers, and I think Greg Schiano kind of has his thing going there. But I think Brett Bielema's got his thing going here. And I think those are actually apt comparisons. Two guys that are going to run the programs that they have their way in a kind of old-school fashion based on running the ball, not turning it over, just being competent and letting the other team kind of fall over themselves. Where for so long as a Illini football fan, I was waiting for Illinois to stumble and fall over themselves, and we saw that plenty. Well, maybe we can say we got the coach where we won't be the guys with the Benny Hill music behind their highlights. If you just do that, what a low bar, right? If you just do that, I think you get the six wins and maybe seven. And that's why my prediction is seven to five. One more bit of good news here. Um, Let me see if I can find this real quick. Okay, so the captains were named for this Illinois team. And... This is a this is a fanboy carp thing in, in full admission. A fanboy carp thing is to find, as I talk in the third person, is to find these little nuggets of totally intangible things, right? Total meatball sports things. I'm not immune from some meatball sports fandom that make me feel good about the direction things are going. Now, in this one more line I inquire article, and yes, subscribe to them. They're well worth it. Here are the four captains for this Illinois team. And this is why it leads me to believe the chemistry is pretty good on this squad. You got two offensive guys. You got Isaiah Williams, fourth-year sophomore. You got Alex Palchuski, six-year senior offensive tackle. That was a big addition by him coming back. You got Tariq Barnes, fourth-year junior linebacker. And you got fifth-year senior safety, Sidney Brown. Four guys that have been in the program for a long time. Four guys that have all went through some stuff. Think about Sidney Brown. If you recall a couple years ago, I think he had a pretty rough go in the Lovey Smith era, and it was really last year where he started to come into his own. I think for a bit we were kind of wondering, you know, he's just kind of, I don't want to say flailing around back there, but certainly the finished uh, product that he was in the last half of last season was not what we saw in 2019 or 2020. And now here he is as a fifth-year senior safety as a captain. Tariq Barnes came on really quick, right? Hard to believe he's already been in this program for four years. Someone that's seen the upheaval, and here he is, middle linebacker, team captain. Alex Palchuski, that one's obvious. I don't think that's a surprise. And Isaiah Williams, not a quarterback like he was recruited to be. This is someone that moved positions based on need, but also the fact that he could make the NFL potentially as a wide receiver. The fact that he is still with this program and the fact that he chose it in the first place speaks volumes. And that kind of loyalty is being rewarded. He just seems to have the personality, even if he's not under center, seems to have the kind of personality that others are drawn to. I think that's fantastic to see that these four guys in their own separate ways have went through the upheaval. They went through the struggles and they seem to have the respect of their teammates in that locker room. This is as meatball-y as I hopefully get all year. And if you're chuckling at how ridiculous that it is that, 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 it is that I even brought this up, the captains on the team, Carp, who cares? Well, I think it does speak to the chemistry. The chemistry really started to build last year. It seems like the buttons that this coaching staff are hitting on are resonating. And I'll take it. After seeing way too many teams um, and coaches that – have just seemed to either lost the team or never had them to begin with. I, I think the vibes are good over there. 
at least the vibes that are emanating from the Smith Performance Center and, and trickling over here to my home in Champaign. I don't know. I'm picking up some good vibes. I'm hoping that they come to fruition. And if not, I'll be right back here super pissed off. Don't you worry. Won't that be fun? I hope that's not the case. I hope it's not. Okay, one more thing before we get out of here today. First day of school, so I'm going to wrap up about 45 minutes in this podcast. Oh, boy, the Big Ten is rich. Richer. It was already rich, but this is from the Chicago Sun-Times. The big news today, of course, the Big Ten inking a new deal. This is the headline from the Chicago Sun-Times. Big Ten makes like NFL with media rights deal. The subheadline says starting in 2023, Big Ten football will air on three broadcast networks, Fox, CBS, and NBC, in three windows on Saturdays. Despite the migration to streaming, linear TV still holds power. This is by Jeff Agrest, or Agrest. The Big Ten's big stage got a whole lot bigger with a seven-year media rights deal spread across CBS, Fox, and NBC. It includes BTN and FS1, as well as streaming services Paramount Plus and Peacock. I got Paramount Plus. Might have to get Peacock. We'll find out. Starting with 2023 football season, Saturdays will have Big Ten games at 11 on Fox, 2.30 on CBS, and in primetime on NBC. So they're covering all bases here. It'll be interesting to see with NBC and the Notre Dame schedule what that means. Maybe that means Notre Dame's coming to the Big Ten. Probably not. The Big Ten will share CBS's window with the SEC in 2023 before the SEC moves exclusively to ESPN ABC. All right, the Big Ten football championship game will alternate networks for the first time. Fox in 23, 25, 27, 29. CBS in 24 and 28. NBC in 20, 26. CBS needed this deal the most because it risked losing Power 5 college football once the SEC leaves. NBC adds to its Notre Dame package, giving it the potential for big double headers. It also increased its inventory for Peacock, which will air eight exclusive games. CBS will simulcast its games on Paramount+, Plus, but the deal shows that broadcast TV still holds power despite the migration to streaming. Now, here's the money. The deal, which reportedly is worth more than $7 billion, is the biggest annual payout in college sports history. Keeping the Big Ten in NFL territory is the only other sports property with at least three broadcast partners. When UCLA and USC joined in 2024, what a coup that was, my God. The Big Ten will have schools in the three biggest U.S. markets, New York, Chicago, and Los Angeles, which likely helped raise the price. Basketball, big part of the deal as well. CBS will air the Big Ten Women's Tournament Final for the first time and continue to air the men's semifinals and final. Peacock will deliver as many as 47 men's games and 30 women's games, and Fox, FS1, and BTN will also have ample schedules. And this deal also marks the first time ESPN won't have Big Ten rights, ending a 40-year relationship. Though Big Ten teams might still appear under the, on the network if they're playing a non-conference foe under ESPN's umbrella. Plus, ESPN still holds the rights to the college football playoff. Whether college game day ever returns to a Big Ten campus remains to be seen. $7 billion. That is obscene. You know, for as bad of a job as the commissioner Kevin Warren has done, money talks and ultimately his legacy will be, is the Big Ten richer than when he came into it? And it most certainly will be. The UCLA and the USC edition, that will probably be his legacy as well. The COVID miscommunication and mishandling will probably be forgotten about once once we start seeing on the U of I campus 
and the athletic complexes, how that money is impacting them. If name image likeness didn't exist now, this would feel gross. It still kind of does, but it is that hot of a commodity. And I'm just hoping that it also trickles down to the players, especially in these revenue sports, because when we're watching a football game on NBC in primetime beginning in 2023, and I'm seeing these studs on the field for Michigan, Ohio State, maybe even Illinois will get a primetime game if we have a good season. And thinking, you know what, these guys are doing a lot of the heavy lifting for the million-dollar GEICO campaign or the multi-million-dollar progressive auto insurance campaign. Yes, this is why paying players many years ago before the name image likeness thing came up, I thought it seemed reasonable enough. I'm thinking that the name image likeness thing will only continue to grow. I mean, that's probably the most obvious statement ever. And even at a local level, there's this thing called Illinois Guardians, and they're starting a subscription service where fans will get access to merchandise and autographs and meet and greets by simply subscribing. This is a new frontier. It's the Wild West. I think Illinois fans should feel confident, especially with the early returns for basketball and the transfer portal and and some of these recruits that they're getting. Clearly, we are able to sell to these young athletes. You will make money here. I have no problem with that. And I actually cannot wait to buy my first official name, image, likeness jersey for Ty Rogers because I'm letting you know right now, Ty Rogers is my guy. I love Sky Clark, Terrence Shannon. I am going all in with Ty Rogers. I think that is the guy for your player that we will maybe love the most out of this new batch. But I'm going to say basketball for another day. It's football season. We are now single digits away from the Wyoming game. Uh, wow. Okay, so this is from Bobo. One last little nugget here. And thank you guys in the chat window. And Bobo, very active today. Billy D. Uh, escalators, escalating factors may increase the value from 7 to $10 billion. So the Big Ten is not done expanding according to the sources of Brett McMurphy. That guy's plugged in. So you go from a 16-team league with UCLA and USC. What do you get to 18 to 20? Do you add a Kansas for basketball? Do you add a Notre Dame? Seems to be the obvious fit. Do you take two more teams from the Pac-12, whatever's left of it? I don't know. I think it's exciting. I I can't wait for the first time a, a UCLA or USC comes to Memorial Stadium. I think that's great. And I, I can't wait for the first time that Illinois is playing out in the Rose Bowl in September, even though I think about it, the last time that happened was hmm, 2003, 2004 with Ron Turner. If you remember, Ade Adiyamo went for a catch, damn near broke his neck because there's no space in the end zone at the Rose Bowl. Terrible game. I think we lost 6-3. to three. I just I get pissed off even thinking about the Ron Turner era. So let's not do that. Today was a positive podcast. Bobo says Notre Dame, Stanford, Washington, Oregon. Oof. I'd take that. That that'd be fun. Academically, they fit, right? Oregon's got the Nike connection. That's pretty sick. All right, before we get out of here, 200 level brought to you by DP Doe. I'm on a dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices. And I know campus is crazy. So many students. It is nuts right now. Don't worry, DP Doe. They'll bring it right to your doorstep. You don't need to leave home. You don't need to get in that mess of move-in day. And you can get anything that you want on your calzone. Custom zone, some of their favorites like the Maui Wowie or the Buffer Zone. Those are my favorites. Order online at dpdo.com. State Farm agent Brian Hansen, online at brianismyguy.com. For life, auto, home, business, renters, you name it, Brian is my guy. He can be your guy. 
at brianismyguy.com. Rector Construction online at rectorconstruction.com for all your home exterior projects. Get a free quote today from the fantastic guys and gals over at rectorconstruction.com. And finally, Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. Let them know the 200 level sent you 6% off your next service. We're going to do that. We're going to get our furnace checked before it gets too cold because we got an ancient furnace in here. It works okay, but it's old. These guys are experts, and even though they're based in Paxton, they serve Champaign, Urbana, St. Joe, Muhammad. You name the local community, they'll come out, they'll fix you up with your air conditioning, heating, and plumbing needs. Dogtown, heating, air, and plumbing. All right, Alana Inquirer, Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Thank you for the few that joined us on Twitch Live. We will get this on YouTube within 24 hours, and the audio podcast will be up very shortly. In the meantime, every oh yeah, wait, cheap plug, I'm sorry. Friday night at Rose Bowl in downtown Champaign. My band has a gig from 8 to 10, so if you like rock and roll music, come check out Decadence at the Rose Bowl Tavern, downtown Urbana, 8 to 10 on Friday. If not, have a great weekend, everybody. We'll see you next week. It's game week. We'll get a couple pods out before the Wyoming game. Thanks, Twitch feed. Thank you, podcast listeners. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you soon. It is the 200 level.